repentance. And uh, just want to, our scripture reading is in the book of James, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10 tonight. And uh, so if you'll turn with me there, and we will stand in our God's honor and read the scriptures. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You promise that when we come honest to you, when we see you as you are and see ourselves as we are, Father, you provide what we need, not what we deserve. That's what the gospel's all about. And tonight, as we look at your word and look at real repentance and what happens when real repentance is there, I just pray Father, that we do a, another checkup spiritually. Father, remember our experience with Jesus. And maybe someone here needs to have that experience and hasn't yet. And Father, speak to someone's heart, Lord. Uh, take charge. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's uh, There was a cartoon uh, not too long ago in one of the... Christian magazines, and it had young George Washington. He was standing beside the cherry tree, and of course it was laying on the ground. He had chopped it down. His dad came over to him, and he definitely looked upset. And in the caption, it had his dad talking to young George, and he said, I know, I know you cannot tell a lie. But what I want to know is, when are you going to stop chopping down cherry trees? It's not enough just to confess with our lips that we're messed up. God says there needs to be a change. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at six different commands and rewards as you look in this outline that deals with repentance. You know, in John the Baptist... What a character he must have been. Can you imagine going to those crusades with John and his camel hair, you know, uh, fur coat there, and, and uh, you know, that fire preaching, and, and he laid it out there, you know. You need to repent. You need to change. And, and we, you know, we picture John with that boldness, but sometimes I think we forget our Lord also preached repentance. Matthew 4.17, and there again I had learned it years ago in the Amplified. It, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, crying out, which, which means Jesus was very passionate. As he spoke, he had some volume in what he said and, and some emotion, some deep emotion. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, crying out, repent. That is, change your heart. Change your thinking for the better. Heartily amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and I, I just want to take a couple of minutes and, and kind of dissect that as it, as it just, you know, takes the little NIV or King James and expands it as the Greek in so many ways is so much richer. So he says, repent. A change of thinking is required. You know, as it talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, some of you guys can quote it too, I'm sure, but he says, I therefore I urge you, brothers, to offer what your bodies has living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. And, and then he goes on, he comes down to the next verse, and he says, you know, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I love it in um, the J.B. Phillips translation. He said, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. But he says, but be transformed by your thinking. God wants us to, to be changed in the way we think. And that is critical. And, and he says, with an abhorrence... Of your past sins. Man, we're not. I think Billy Sunday was the one that said. We, we need to treat sin like a rattlesnake. And not a cream puff. We don't need to see how close. That you know we can buddy up to sin. And not get burned. And, and not get hurt. Because the fact of the matter is. Uh, as I've shared this many times. It's been on my mind so much the past few years. Sin is deadly because sin separates. Now, of course, we know sin separates us from the living God. Our sin keeps us from God. And that's why there's a Savior to draw us back to Him. And as we look around us, we see the pain that is caused by that. I don't even need to talk about that much. All you need to do is look around at people you care about. And there's just so much hurt. And that's what happens when we step outside of God's plan. But he talks here about real repentance. Let's just uh, kind of jump down through uh, these different ones here. First, it is to submit to God. Notice here in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the first thing here that is mentioned is submission. And this is a tough word. Because let's face it. We want to call our own shots. We want to be in charge of our own schedules. We want to fix everything. We want to be in control. I've always said we're all control freaks, but we don't really control anything. We just think we do until something happens and the bubble pops. And suddenly, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? You think, oh, this is, I, I have to get this done. This schedule is the most important thing in the world. And then you're sitting in the hospital. And suddenly that stuff that was so important Takes a back seat. The bubble pops. <laughs> so he says to submit. And you know, sometimes that word submit too, it's taken a it's taken a bad hit, you know, by the oh, it says wives should submit to their husbands and you know, those mean old men and they're just trying to control women and, and you know, that backward thinking that's in the Bible and you know, that's what happens when we take stuff out of context. If you take the context of it, when it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ give himself for the church? He died on a cross. Now, if a man has that kind of love for his wife, that he's willing to do what is best for her, no matter how it may hurt him, I don't think it's too hard for her to want to be with him. And at those times to submit. I can't even think through the years. There's not been many times I've even talked like that in our marriage. We usually just agree upon things. 
Uh, don't even have to come to somebody has to make a decision. But the whole point of submit is when we submit, it is showing that we're willing to listen to somebody besides just ourselves. That it's not just our way or the highway, as is said. Uh, notice here in, in verse 8 a couple of things here. You have to kind of come to grips here with this submission. He calls the sinners. Ouch. Isn't it interesting in today's culture, we're not sinners, we're victims, or there's some other reason of why we're where we are, and I don't mean that there are not certainly some cases of that, but the bottom line is the Bible says we're sinners that need a Savior. And secondly, he calls us double-minded. What's it mean to be double-minded? It means split personality. That's kind of the idea that of the guy that's married who loves his wife and he loves his mistress and he doesn't know what to do, so he just keeps both of them. Eh, it doesn't work. To be double-minded is, is, to, is to cause a, a pain and an ultimate split when we try to follow God and follow ourselves and try to walk the fence and, and follow the two. And salvation is the reward when we really submit. I think of what it says in the Beatitudes, Happy are those who know they're spiritually poor, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. When you really meet Jesus is when you really meet your sin. When you see how ugly you are, warts and all, and how you are not going to get to heaven on the basis of what you do. You know, I love that old story where the guy went up to heaven, and he met... uh, I think in the story of St. Peter. So he met Peter up there and he's trying to get in. He says, okay, what's the, what do you have to say to get in here? What do you have, you know? And he says, well, he says, um, I tithe for 68 years, 75% of my income to God's work. He said, um, what's that worth? He said, a point. How many points do I need to get in here? A thousand points. A point? That I was faithful to my wife for 63 years of marriage. Never lusted after another woman. What's that worth? Another point. Another point? You're kidding me. Well, well, what else you got? He says, well, uh, he says, man, I worked in my community tirelessly. I helped the poor. I built 17 houses with Habitat for Humanity for people who didn't have anything. What's that worth? Another point? He says, oh, come on! He says, Lord have mercy. He says, now you got it. That's worth 997 points. You're in here. And, and that's, that's what happens when we, get a, when we get a vision of where we really are and we get a vision of what we need. And that is the Savior who died for us who came to meet our need, the reward of that salvation. Second one here, the command is to resist the devil. Notice he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, we know that Satan was the most beautiful of all creation of the angels. It's not like you and I can stand up against him. I don't think he's shaking in his boots when he just looks at Todd. But praise be to God, the Bible tells us that we have an intercessor. We have a guy that stands in the middle on our behalf named Jesus. And, you know, I've always loved, I've told you guys, one of my favorite verses, Colossians 3, 3. And I get fired up when I think about that verse. It says, 
For you died. And your life is now hidden. With Christ in God. Now the reason I get excited about all that. Is I start thinking about the wimp I am. But then I get to thinking. That when the father looks at me. I'm covered. I'm hidden by Jesus. And when that old rascal the devil looks at me. I'm covered by Jesus. See, that's where the victory is. It's by His grace. And we put on that spiritual armor. What it is is taking the attention off of me and the attention toward Him. And when I do that, when I'm submitted and my attention is upon the Father, there's a promise or reward that occurs in this real repentance and it's the devil's on the run. He takes off. He has to run away because the truth of the matter is he's not scared of me. But he can't do anything against Jesus. can't do anything against God. So a wonderful promise there. The next one is to come near to God. Uh, in verse 8 he says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The picture here is that we are called to come close to him. We're called to, to stop and to bear our hearts and, and, and to be honest before the living God. I mean, I don't know why we try to fool him anyway. Uh, you know, I, I think in Hebrews 4.13, you know, we quote 4.12, the word of God living and active, sharpening double-edged sword. You guys know it. But the next verse is pretty scary stuff too because it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I don't know why we think we can fool him. We might as well submit to him now. We might as well turn to him now. We might as well come close. Because there's no better place to be than close. He says to wash your hands, you sinners. Um, you know that term I think of, squeaky clean. You know, wash my hair sometimes gets dirty. Y'all don't even know all about that, but... Shampoo my hair, and you know, I know I got the soap out and everything with my hair squeaky clean, you know. Or your car when you're trying to clean it, and you hear that squeaky clean noise. Well, what's the squeaky clean? It means that there's no dirt in between what is being used to clean and what's dirty. And, and, and that's the goal here. He says, get your heart before God. Come close to Him. Confess your sins. Spend time with Him. Evaluate yourself next to Him. Uh, receive His blessings, His forgiveness, His heart. And be squeaky clean. That, that, that's the command of what, what He's trying to get across. And to be clean of not only the sin, but of distracting things. Sometimes we come close, and it's been said that the biggest enemy of the best is the good. Sometimes we can do something that's not bad, but it's not best. And so what we need to do is learn to look to Him. You know, it talks about in, I think it's 1 Timothy 2, 8, to lift our hands, lifting holy hands to the Lord. And as we think about lifting hands, there's a couple of truths here that's represented First, as I lift up my hands to him, it is an expression of saying, I'm not much, but I'm yours. God, I'm offering myself to you. All of me. The second thing, by raising hands, I'm giving God permission to 
look upon me <laughs> and through me. I always think of that end of Psalm 139. You know, in the King James, he says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, 24. You know, I, I picture that as saying, Okay, Holy Spirit, shine your searchlight on me. You know, it talks about in the Gospel of John, the men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because they don't want their sins exposed. But when we want God working in our lives, then there's a willingness and an openness to say, okay, God, shine your light. I'm willing to, Father, let you take a good look at me. You know what I look like, but I need to know what I look like. Father, you, you know, I want you to do that kind of work within my heart. And the final thing, it, it is actually a request before God where you're saying to him, okay, God, take control. God, you do what I can't do. You help me, God. You guide me. You walk with me. Here's a poem I want to share with you. It says, One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most, till I was empty-handed, every glittering toy lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty until I heard his voice inviting, Lift those empty hands to me. Then I turned my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches <laughs> till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God cannot pour his riches into hands already full. So you open those hands and instead of holding on tight. What's the reward? It says he'll come near to you. So the reward is an intimate relationship with God. It is a, a relationship where he reveals himself to us. This, this is from Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. The same context, fourth command. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. He says, uh, it, it's a word picture here of living a life that is willing to turn from sin. Is willing to choose God's best instead of merely the good. Jesus summed up all of his laws in two commands. Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Bible scholars uh, he said, uh, give me some help here. He said, what is the first and greatest commandment and the second? Somebody, you know, I'm sick. Young man, I think you got a good grade. <laughs> and, and, you know, he comes on after that and he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And... And so what this boils down to in purifying your hearts is, is this love? Am I loving God when I do this? And am I loving you? And if the answer to that is no, I don't have a pure heart. Got, got to seek that uh, for that to come. You know, there, there's the fence sitters and it's described in Revelation 3. 
I'm going to turn there with Revelation 3, 14 through 19. Is there is the description of uh, being a fence-sitter, not loving as we're called. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich in white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. So that purity of heart is for love to be the priority. Priority. Um, how do we practically do that in love? First uh, Peter one twenty two. It says, "Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart." So the way that we show love is to do loving acts. You know, the old joke about the, you know, the couple that went for marriage counseling. And the counselor said, you need to tell her that you love her. And the guy said, I told her when I married her 38 years ago. And if I change my mind, I'll tell her. But it doesn't work like that. We need to say it and we need to show it. And, and the second way is simply by doing that day after day. Job 23.10, he says, But he knows the way I take. When he's testing me, I'll come forth as gold. 17.3 of Proverbs, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. It's through those hard times, through the difficulties of continuing to love and continuing to be faithful. And as we do that, what's the reward? The reward is stability. And uh, not double-minded, but single-minded. And it's a beautiful testimony when a person has walked with Jesus for a lot of years. And there's the stability, not a life with no problems, but a life that has just walked with Jesus. Managed through it. And, you know, as we say, I'm still alive. He got me through it, you know. Uh, number five, he, the command is to start crying. Look at verse nine. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And, and the picture here is, you know, it's not the opposite of what we tried to talk about this morning. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. It's not that we need to go around grieving and mourning and wailing all the time. It's that we need to be honest about our sin. That, that's that's what he's saying here, is is deal with it. Don't just treat your sin like it'll go away, because it won't. 
Don't sit back when you know there's an issue that needs to be resolved and that sooner or later that's going to explode and some people are going to be devastated when you know that you need to deal with it. Grieve, mourn, and well. Get serious about it. Deal with those issues that he calls you to and that he reveals to you. And, and we need to do that. Our own state of mind, um, our own sin that needs to be dealt with. Luke 6.25, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you'll mourn and weep. We need to deal with our own condition before we pay a price for not doing that. Over the state of our own sin... In Ezra 10, 1 and 2, Ezra and others in the community are, are literally weeping and crying over the condition of the people. Jesus, as he looked out over Jerusalem, it says that he had compassion and his heart was broken because they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed, helpless as he looked around. I, you know, uh, from Philippians, turn me back, we looked at Philippians this morning and I want to just take a minute and look at Philippians 3. Of course, we'll take a Sunday down the road and look in more detail at these texts. But Paul says in verse 18, he, he describes that burden. He says, For I has often told you in 3.18, Before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul didn't have this attitude where they're all going to hell and let them go quick. It wasn't Paul. Paul said he had tears. He said he looked around at these people that were fighting against God like you can win a fight against God. And he cried about it. There were people in his family. There were people in his community. There, there were people in his life that were fighting against God and against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he even said they were as enemies of the cross because they were determined to ridicule the gospel. And he had tears over that. Now, what do these people look like? Look at verse 19, and we have a description of what they look like. Their destiny is destruction. Let's just stop there a second. You know somebody, and let's face it, their life, it's not good. And you sit there and you watch it, and you just it just breaks your heart. He said, this is going to end up a nightmare. Secondly, he says, their God is their stomach. Now, we're in trouble at Kingsley, honey. When we meet, we eat. No, that's not what it's talking about. Rather, it's talking about when... Your appetites of the flesh, that's what controls you. Now, you know, gluttony may be in there, but it's not just eating. It's the fact with what I live for is to fulfill the moment. And I can put in that blank whatever I think is going to make me happy. Or as we used to say as teenagers, turn my crank, you know, (laughs) whatever, turn my crank. And, and so that's what he says about their God is their stomach. And then he says their glory is in their shame. Does anything make Americans blush anymore? Isn't that a thought? Their glory is in their shame. Um, a friend of mine told me the other day, if I can get the quote right, I was thinking about it, I said, wow. 
said, um, today's popular, let's see. Today, how was it? Today's popular sin is tomorrow's. Anyway, the, the basis of it, I hate it when that, I get those brain grains. The brain just doesn't work. But the idea, what's a popular sin today? Tomorrow it just becomes a fad. And I got thinking about that. It becomes a fad. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Well, I got to do this. I got to be involved in this. You know, who would have believed back in Gone with the Wind when they, you know, said the cuss word? <gasps> now far we've come, baby, right? But anyway, um, as he comes here and he says, their glory's in their shame. Where's their mind? Their mind is on earthly things. They need Jesus, man. Our goal is not to get out there and show them that you're headed for destruction and to pound them with all you're dealing with is earthly appetites. Our job is to show them that's not going to fill your hunger, man. You need God. You need God. Um, and uh, anyway, as you cry over that, God will comfort. He provides the comfort um, for that. He says, um, let me get back here to James. Grieve, mourning, well, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's the one who can bring the joy. He's the one who brings the laughter. And it comes when we come to him honestly with our sin and he replaces that brokenness and that hopelessness with resurrection power. Man, that's what it's about there. He'll comfort you. Last one here, humble yourselves is the last command we'll cover. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It is a willingness to fall to my knees so that I can be where he wants me to be. It's kind of interesting that we actually move up when we're willing to go down. That's the picture here that's expressed. And what's he say he will do when that happens? He will exalt you. All men, all men will know Jesus when what, when when He's lifted up. Um, all men will come to Him, uh, be exalted. Uh, anyway, I close with this uh, story of a famous rabbi. He's walking down the street, and some of his followers came up to him and said, Rabbi, when should a man repent? And the rabbi said, you should be sure you repent on the last day of your life. And we thought about that a moment and said, well, that's great, Rabbi, except I don't know when the last day of my life is. I said, well, the answer's simple. Repent now. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we've looked at genuine repentance tonight, going down through these verses in the book of James. Father, it gives us a chance to do a heart check. Um, where are we, Father, with you? It's not a matter of are we saved and are we secure. That, that's not it. But are we close? Are we open to hear your voice? 
to be ready when you call and when you direct us. That's what this really leads to. So, Father, help us as we just be honest before you, Lord, about where we are. Areas you may want us to repent, to change our thinking, move closer to you. God, help us see that. Direct us that way, Lord. Give us courage to be obedient and to follow in you, as your word says. And at that moment, when we willingly humble ourselves before you, you promise to lift us up and to exalt us. Not, not so we'll be seen, but so you will be seen. That's the goal. So, Father, as we prepare to, to sing and to think about what you want of us tonight, I, just, God, lead our hearts, Father. May we just obey you, whatever that means. May we repent, Lord. So, Father, we just give it to you. Direct this time we call response. In Christ's name, amen.